Father's Day again, and uh, it's just an honor to be able to speak to you guys today and also the ladies who are here. I'm in a series of sermons in the month of June uh, on marriage. Uh, it's entitled You, Me, We, and today we're in uh, sermon number three, and, and I've entitled this one The Right Stuff. Uh, basically, what we're doing this month is celebrating marriage as it appears in the Bible. We're looking at uh, some of the famous love stories that are found in the Word of God and also celebrating marriage right here in our own church uh, every month uh, or every week. We've had uh, photos of, uh, of people in our church who, who uh, when they got married, we had their picture and we've been celebrating their, their photos and their marriages. First service, we did a couple of families. One of them, Jim and Norma Grubb, uh, been married 48 years, 58 years today. Today was their anniversary and we had their picture up there. Uh, just, it was awesome. Uh, funny little story, Jim, Jim told me uh, last night at, at another wedding, he said, he said, yeah, I remember uh, the day of my wedding, he said, I threw up all day long. And I said, well, dude, were you sick? Did you have food poisoning? He says, no, I was just scared to death. <laughs> he said, I've gotten over that now. But anyway, hey, we've got, we got two families we're celebrating today. First photo's up here. I, I always let y'all kind of look at that and see if you can figure out who that is. That is Gary and Jane Ann Branch, right back there. Gary and Jane Ann, just a couple of years ago, not, not too long. Here, I appreciate them so much, and I love Gary and Jane Ann. Uh, Gary, Gary uh, is a retired coach. Uh, he's been in the business of turning boys into men, and he has done a great job of that through his life. He recently retired, but now his son, Jeremy, has become the head coach at Trinity, and he called his old pop-up and said, Dad, come out of retirement and help me coach these boys. And of course, you don't get paid for it, but I mean, you're, you're, you're out of retirement, you're coaching again. Man, I, you're my hero, Gary. I love you and appreciate you. You can't say Kavanaugh Children's Center without thanking a Miss Jane Ann. Uh, she is a mainstay in our Children's Center. She, she has been teaching back there 37 years. Wow, isn't that great? Give her another big, 37 years. She, she's working like on three and four generations of kids that she's had that have had kids that keep coming through uh, her class. Uh, we love Gary and Jane Ann. This is their church for life, and we celebrate with them, their home, and their family. Give them another big hand, Gary and Jane Ann Branch. Wow, that's awesome. Picture number two. Can you figure out who that is? Y'all don't know, do you? That's Ronnie and Susan Fox. Woo, baby, let me tell you something, man. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Here's, here's what I got to say. Susan, you're, you're as beautiful now as you were back then. You're just a beautiful bride. Ronnie, man, you're, you're styling, dude. I mean, Lucas, isn't he looking good up there, man? I mean, he, he's not still, you still have a full head of hair. It's just a different color, Ronnie. Isn't that great, man? Wow, I love Ronnie and Susan Fox. Uh, their, their devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and to this church, literally, it blows me away. Uh, they've done an excellent job raising their children to love the Lord as well. We honor Ronnie and Susan Fox today. What a great love story from right here at Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Uh, here we find one of the great love stories of the Bible, the story of the marriage between Ruth and this man by the name of Boaz. But more importantly, the, the book of Ruth is a love story between God and his people. The story of Ruth and Boaz is a story 
of redemption. In fact, the Hebrew word for redemption in its various forms shows up some 23 times in these four chapters. God is working his plan of salvation for the world, and today we're going to see how this famous love couple fits into God's plan of redemption. So let me just begin by giving you a quick summary of the story of Ruth. It all starts with a man by the name of Elimelech who moves with his wife Naomi from the town of Bethlehem to the country of Moab. They have two sons and their two sons move to Moab with them. Eventually the two sons marry women from Moab, one of whom is this lady named Ruth. In a very tragic turn of events, Elimelech and both of his sons die, leaving Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws as widows. Naomi's in a pretty bad situation. She doesn't have any income or know what to do, so she decides to move back home and go back to Bethlehem. She encourages Ruth and the other daughter-in-law to go back to their families' homes where they can be taken care of. But in a very tender expression of devotion, Ruth says something to Naomi that is often quoted in modern day weddings. And I'm going to read it from Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. So so you see, these words that are often quoted in modern day weddings are actually the words of a woman being said to her mother-in-law. But they reflect this loyal and devoted heart that Ruth had. Uh, Ruth and Naomi come back to Judah. They end up in the small town of Bethlehem. As widows, they are definitely disadvantaged. It's harvest time. And so Ruth decides that the best thing she can do is, is go out and work for some grain so at least her and Naomi have something to eat. So she said to Naomi, I'll go out and work in the grain fields so that we can survive. Now, in Old Testament times, there was the law of gleaning. This means that a landowner would not harvest the crops at the edge of his field. He would leave that wheat or that barley on the edge of the field for poor people or widows that they could come and gather that for themselves and have something to live on. And so this is exactly what Ruth does. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, She went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. If you remember that name, that is Ruth's late father-in-law. And so you read that verse and you might say, well, lucky her. As luck would have it, she ended up in the field that belongs to a family member of Elimelech. But I'm I'm here to tell you, luck has nothing to do with it. God doesn't deal in luck, all right? 
God in his work never does anything haphazard. This is the work of God bringing these two people together. And really, that's the way it should be in a marriage. Two people who are brought together by the will of God. When Jesus talks about marriage in the gospel, notice how he speaks of it. Matthew chapter 19. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and shall be united unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I want you to notice Jesus said what God has joined together. A man and a woman, when they choose a mate, God looks at it as something that he himself has joined together. Here are two lives that are literally glued together by God himself. Now, what I want to do is show you how these famous lovers of the Bible have the right stuff for marriage from the very beginning. And, and here's what I know. If you're going to have a successful marriage, not just an okay marriage, but a great marriage, you're going to have to have the right stuff. Okay, It takes the right stuff. And what is the right stuff? Well, it really all begins with our love for God. Remember that Ruth has become a believer. In fact, Ruth said to Naomi those famous words, Your God will be my God. Right then, she became a believer in God. She became a woman of faith. And we know that Boaz was not just a wealthy landowner. Boaz himself was a man of God. Now, a little trivia here. Maybe you haven't connected the dots or, or know who Boaz's mama is. But Boaz had a very famous mother. In fact, she was not a, an Israelite at all, but, but she became a woman of great faith. Did you know that Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot? Remember that story? She, she saved the people of God. She became a, a great woman of faith, the only survivor of the, of the destruction of the city of Jericho. She was a woman of great faith. And I'm here to tell you she passed that faith down to her son, Boaz, he was a man of God. In fact, when he shows up to his field on the day that Ruth is there, Boaz greets his workers, the Lord be with you. That's what he said to all of his workers, his hired hands, the Lord be with you. And they called back, the Lord bless you. Now you tell me, how would you like to have a boss like that? First service, one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, when you said that about how would you like to have a boss like that, all of the staff guys shook their head. Yeah, I'd like to have a boss like that. So, kind of watching these guys. Think, Man, I'm telling you. But right there we see the right stuff for a marriage. It takes the right stuff. What is the right stuff? Point number one, it takes devotion to God and a mutual respect for one another. That's the right stuff of making a good marriage a great marriage, to have a successful marriage. It begins with devotion to God and respect for one another. Now, have you ever heard the term funny math? You ever heard that term funny math? Usually it's associated with our government and how they, how they kind of trick. But you know what? When, when, when I read the Bible, sometimes I see God's math, and it doesn't make sense to us. I love throwing formulas up on the board because Miss Wagner over here, she's a, she's a math guru. You ever remember that show? It used to be on TV a long time ago. It was on one of those educational channels, and it would just be a, a person standing at a chalkboard writing formulas out. 
You ever seen that? Raise your hand if you ever saw that on TV. I, I, I flipped it over there one day and I saw that and I said, who in their right mind would ever sit here and watch something like that? And then I found out it was Cheryl's favorite show on TV. I mean, she, she, loves, she loves math equations. Well, here's one for you right here, Cheryl. Here it is. One plus one plus one equals. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because really, what does one plus one plus one equal? See, they're, they're all, they couldn't make it in your class, Cheryl, but they're, they're pretty sharp. Here's what I'm talking about. This is God's formula for a marriage. A man of God marries a woman of God. Let me go back here to, to, to this little relationship that I love so much. Uh, Angie was saved when she was a little girl. Uh, she comes from a, of a long heritage of, of believers in Jesus Christ. She gave her heart to Christ when she was a young girl. Her, her desire and her goal in life was to go to Hillsdale, find a preacher, and marry a preacher and become a preacher's wife. That was her... Her actual goal was to become a, a woman wrestler. It'd be on. Uh, anyway, anyway, how do you recover from something like that? I don't know. Anyway, she was a woman of faith. I was saved when I was six years old. Accepted God's call to preach when I was just a little kid. Started preaching. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Jesus is the most important thing in Angie's life. That day, 32 years ago, when we got married at Norman First Free Will Baptist Church, and Brother Joe Grizzle said, your husband and wife, the three of us, became one. That is Angie, Will, and Jesus. He's, he's the glue that holds us together. He's, he's the head of our home. He's the Savior of our house. He is our Lord and our Savior. So one plus one plus one really makes one and that's the right stuff for a marriage when a man and a woman who are committed to keep the Lord at the center of their relationship get married it becomes this powerful union that's ordained from heaven so here is Boaz a man of God and he immediately notices Ruth working in in the field and so he asks who is that young lady over there working the workers explain Ruth's sad situation and her connection to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So Boaz calls Ruth over, and this is what he says to her in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you get thirsty, you just go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So here is this man of God, Boaz, and he speaks to Ruth, and he speaks to her with respect. How do we know that? Well, from what he said. He addressed her as my daughter. In the Hebrew, that was a very tender term that, that signified love and respect. And, and remember, if this, Ruth herself is not... Not even an Israelite person. She's not an Israelite girl. She's from Moab. But yet this man of God has respect for women. For the female gender. And Boaz is so concerned that she be treated with respect. 
that he said to his men, I have told the men over here not to lay a hand on you. They've been warned not to touch you. Now, all through this message, I'm going to have these little fiery darts that I throw at the dads, all right? But dads understand I'm throwing them in love, and they've already hit me before they've hit you, all right? But, but this just begs for me to say this to, to you men. Dads, listen to me. Your children are watching you. Your kids are watching you. Did you know that boys learn respect for women by watching and listening to their dads? When they see dad open the car door for their mother, they're learning the value of respect for women. When they hear their dad speaking kind words of respect to their mother, they're learning the value of respecting women. Let me tell you, on the flip side of it, they see when you disrespect your woman. And they take note of that, and guess what? They're going to they're gonna grow up and be just as rotten and no good for nothing as you are. If that's the way you treat women. And when a daughter observes that in her dad, that he respects her mother, she learns that, you know what? That's the way men ought to be. And I'm going to look for a husband that respects me just the way my daddy respects my mama. Not only do you see this respect that Boaz has for Ruth, but in reverse you see the respect Ruth has for Boaz. Verse 10 of chapter 2. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Now, ladies, I'm sure that's the way you treat your husband when he comes in from work. You bow down on your face before him. Oh, baby, I'm so glad you're home. Let, let me get your slippers for you as I... No, no, maybe not. I did hear a story about a couple of guys who were talking one day. One, one of them told his friend about a fight that he and his wife had had the night before. He said, when it was all over with, that woman was coming to me on her hands and knees. She said, why don't you come out from under that bed and fight like a man? You know, there ought to be respect even when we don't agree with each other. Boy, that's a valuable lesson, is it not? Now, in, in these verses we've just read, maybe you notice the word favor. Here's what Ruth said. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you have noticed me? That word favor shows up often in these four chapters. In fact, it points to another part of the right stuff in marriage. Not only does it take devotion to God and respect for one another, but it also takes kindness from each other to make a marriage work. That, that simply means, you know what, guys? You got to be nice to each other. Bo Boaz knows all that Ruth has been through, and Boaz knows what Ruth has done for her mother-in-law in the terms of loyalty by staying with her. And by the way, let me just throw this in. For those of you who are unmarried and maybe you're praying about a future mate and who God would have you to marry, take note of this. The way a potential mate treats others 
is eventually how they're going to treat you. So, so you need to just back off a little bit and see how this person is treating other people. Because however they treat other people is eventually how they're going to treat you after the love wears off and the reality of real living sets in, all right? Ruth had already demonstrated selfless compassion and kindness to Naomi. And, and Boaz saw that. Boaz was attracted to that. Knowing all that Ruth has been through, here's what Boaz says to her in verse 12 of chapter 2. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Very important statement. I'll come back to that in a second. Ruth replies back in verse 13, May I continue to find, what's the word? Favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servant girls. So again, here is that word favor. It, it, it simply means kindness. You remember what kind of a pickle Ruth and Naomi were in. They're both widows. They didn't have welfare back then. They had no man to take care of them. They had no source of income whatsoever. So Ruth had sought refuge in the Lord. She had asked God for help. And the Lord provided that refuge and that safety and that, that provision through who would be her future husband, Boaz. The kind arms of Boaz wrapped around Ruth and Naomi. They, they really were the protective wings of God. D do you see how this is working? This lady cried out to God for help. Lord, I don't have anybody to take care of me. Would you take care of me? And God said, yes, I'll take care of you. But this is the way God works. God works through people. And so he looked down and he said, who could take care of Ruth the best? Oh, Boaz can. And so he chose Boaz to be that protective wing over Ruth. Now that, that begs for an explanation to us. Guys, do you see that? Listen to me, guys. God wants to love your wife, but he wants to love your wife through you. God wants to protect your wife. God wants to protect your family and your children. And men, he has chosen you to do that for him. God wants to provide for your family, provide for your wife and through your kids, but he has chosen you to do that. And if you and I as men fail at this point, we are not just failing our families, we are failing God. Because this is the job that God has called us to. Now, now notice what happens when Ruth gets back home to Naomi. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where would you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law, about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped, Boaz has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. 
He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now remember I said that the Hebrew word for redemption shows up numerous times in the book of Ruth. Well, let me just explain what's happening here. The kinsman redeemer is a very important person in the preservation of ancient Israel's family names and family properties. The Old Testament law of Moses provided that if a man died without an heir, without a son, his widow, the widow of the dead man, should marry one of his brothers. Are you following me? Here's a man who marries a lady. Before they can have a son, he dies. What's she to do? She is to marry one of this guy's brothers. And it is, it is through the family lineage, it is through one of these other brothers that she would then produce a male child, and that male child would become the man's, the dead man's heir. He would carry on the family name, and he would preserve that piece of property for his dead father's name. You might say, well, what if there were no brothers? What if this family only had one son? Or, or what if there were just, you know, he just had a bunch of sisters and, and he died? What would happen then? Well, the next distant relative would become the kinsman redeemer. It might be a cousin or an uncle. But that person would then become the kinsman redeemer who would marry the widow and produce a male child to carry on the family name. The kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth was none other than Boaz. And Naomi starts adding all this up. And she realizes, hey, God is at work here. God's doing something awesome. And so being concerned for Ruth that she not be a poor widow all of her life, like women do, she has this great idea. And let me read her idea to you in chapter 3. As she becomes the matchmaker. Chapter 3 verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz with, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Here's what you do girl. You wash, you put on some perfume and you get dressed in your best clothes. It's not exactly how the text reads, it's my interpretation of it. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Then when he lies down, take note of the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. So Ruth does just as Naomi instructed. After Boaz had finished his work and, and eaten a good meal, he went to lie down and go to sleep for the night. And Ruth came over after he had fallen asleep, uncovered Boaz's feet, and she lies down. Now, don't ask me why. I don't, this, is, this is the way they did things back then. It all had a meaning. meaning. What, what Ruth is doing here, though, is requesting by uncovering his feet that Boaz become her redeemer. Now, I can only imagine Boaz waking up in the middle of the night and rolling over and seeing there's a pretty girl down at his uncovered feet. <laughs> Nothing immoral about this, all right? Don't, don't be thinking that. Chapter 3, verse 9, he asked, who are you? <laughs> she said, I'm your servant Ruth. 
And then this is what she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. The story continues, Boaz agrees to do this. He, he agrees to perform this act of kindness for Ruth and for Naomi. But there's a problem. There is actually another relative who is a step closer to Naomi and Ruth than he is. Somebody else gets the first shot at being a kinsman redeemer. So Boaz says in chapter 3 verse 13, You stay here all night in the morning. If this other guy wants to redeem, fine. Let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. So you lie here until morning. And, and that brings about the, the third thing that makes for the right stuff in a successful marriage. Sacrifice. Not just any old kind of sacrifice. I'm talking about sacrificial love. That's what it takes. Boaz is about to do something that is going to cost him dearly. Hmm? Ruth chapter 4 tells how the transaction takes place. Boaz went to the town gate where important business was typically transacted. It was the equivalent of a town square and a courthouse. And, and he negotiates with this relative, this closer relative. At first the guy says, yeah, man, I'll take that property, good piece of land. He, he doesn't mind paying the price for the property. But he says, Boaz says, well, what goes along with that is, is Ruth. You've got to marry Ruth. And even though Ruth was a very attractive young lady, this guy backs off of it because it's going to bring some complications into his life that, that he can't afford to make. So he says, no, I can't do that. And so in Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, Boaz announces to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among the family or from the town records. And today, all of you are witnesses of this. Now, what I really want you to see and notice here is the sacrificial love that is at the very core of this relationship between Ruth and Boaz. It's costing Boaz something. He has to pay a price to become a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is a powerful Old Testament picture of our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. This common occurrence in the life of the Israelites was a very powerful image of the redemption of God. You see, Jesus accepted his assignment from the Father by going to Calvary's cross and paying the high price for our sin through his death. Jesus redeemed us. Jesus purchased us off of the slave market of sin. And our redemption is costly. Our redemption costs God His only begotten Son. Our salvation costs Jesus His very life. I know that Boaz had to pay a pretty penny to marry Ruth. He, he had to up the ante. He had to sacrifice to obtain that woman and get that bride. But I'm here to tell you, his price can't even begin to compare with the price our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
paid when he redeemed us from the cesspool of sin we live in. Mm. Titus 2.14 puts it this way. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, here's something pretty amazing about all this. It's that God has this same role in mind for us as husbands. Obviously, we, we are not the saviors of our wives. We can't save our wives. Only Jesus can do that. But Christ, having begun the work of redemption in the life of our wives, wants us as husbands to encourage them and develop them and help them to be the women God has called them to be. How do I know that? Ephesians 5, 25, when Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So guys, listen to me. Your number one job that God has given to you is to love your wife. To love your wife. That's at the top of the list for you. I just, I just thought of something. Have you ever been buttoning your shirt or your blouse if you're a woman and, and you get to the bottom and, and you, you haven't matched up the buttons? It's kind of embarrassing, especially if you go out in public like that, right? It, it all starts with the top. If you get the top button right, Everything else falls into line, doesn't it? And guys, let me tell you, this is God's number one job for you. I'm, I'm trying to look at every guy in this place, every man. This is your job that God has given to you. Love your wives. Not with just any old kind of lustful love. You are to love them as Jesus Christ loved the church. He died for the church. That's the kind of love you are to have for your woman, that kind of love. And, and what is the role of the wife in all of this? Well, Ephesians 5 tells us that. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Women, ladies. Wives, your job is to submit. Submission means that the wife allows her husband to take the responsibility that God has given to him. In other words, ladies, you let your man be the man. You let your husband do the job God has given him to do. You submit to that authority. In other words, the lady is trusting God to supply her needs through her husband. God's given us the job as God. We have those, those sheltering wings, don't we? We are to spread our wings over our families. Provide for them, protect them, love them. That's our job. Women, you are to submit to that role of manhood through your husband and let him do his job. Quit trying to be the man. Because you ain't the man. You're the woman. 
You have your own role. And it's a respected role. And men, let me tell you, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. That went over big. Okay, enough of that. Let me get back to the story. They had a happy ending. It's a great ending. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Isn't that great? But there's some more important information that comes in verse 17. They named their boy Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of David. Guys, this is huge. We know that Jesus' lineage is connected to David because he was called the son of David. Little did Ruth and Boaz know that their marriage was a pivotal link in the chain of redemption that would come through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? You, you see, your marriage is important just as Ruth and Boaz's marriage was important. Not just for you, but for what God is doing in this world in presenting Jesus Christ to be the salvation of mankind. You know, God has blessed Angie and I with three kids, wonderful kids. I love my kids. And I pray for my kids every day that God would use them. Maybe the best thing that happens in the marriage of Will and Angie is not that we have a successful ministry at Cavanaugh Church and, and this church grows to over a thousand. Maybe that's not the most important thing about this union. Maybe the most important thing about our marriage is that we had three kids who grew to love God and they went on to do great things for the Lord. My middle daughter is in Nicaragua right now. She flew in last night. She's there for a, a week's mission trip. Her, her, her calling in life, she believes, is to be a medical missionary. Have no idea what God is going to do through Whitney or Callie or Zane. But I pray that their hearts would stay sensitive to God. And maybe the greatest thing between this union, maybe the greatest thing you two guys back there could have ever produced is not your son, but your grandchildren. Do you get what I'm saying, church? Your home is important. Your marriage is important, not just for you, but for the kingdom of God. And his plan of redemption for mankind. I'm going to end this just directly to the men. Guys, men here today. Do you have the right stuff? Do you have the right stuff to make your marriage a great marriage? It takes devotion to God. Respect for your spouse. Kindness. Genuine kindness. I want Men, I want you to think... What was the last kind thing or the kind, last kind word you said to your spouse? And if you have to think about that for over three seconds, it's been too long since you did something kind to her. The right stuff takes a sacrificial love. Are you loving your spouse with that kind of love? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to have uh, what we call an invitation. I'm inviting you to come and pray at the altar, okay? Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to come and do that. The pastors will be here. They can help you with that.
Uh, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died for you. And C, confess him as Lord of your life. If you've never been saved, would you come today and receive Christ? If you're here today and you're a Christian, uh, I'm asking that you come to this invitation and come to the altar and pray for your family. Dads, fathers, I think it'd be an awesome time to just gather the, the little family around you at the altar and, and spread those protecting wings over them and pray specifically for your family. Wives, good time to pray for your man, your husband. Kids, a great time to pray for your parent. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but if he's, if he's calling you to come and pray, please listen to that voice. And do what he's asking you today. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this time. Move in our church as only you can. And we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? As they sing, why don't you come right now and pray, would you?